Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. May God bless this reading of his word. Dear friends, it's good to bring God's word to you uh, this day. Uh, as we are scattered and we're unable to gather, it's important that we continue to remain encouraged in the Word and pray that His, God's Word and His Spirit will continue to strengthen and encourage us through these difficult and uncertain times. Uh, let me pray for us as we prepare to receive from God. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank You indeed that You are good and faithful. Even in these challenging times, You remain Sovereign, you remain a God who we can trust. And Father, we pray that we would come to you and lay our burdens at your feet. Father, we pray that you would strengthen our hearts, especially as we come to your word now. We pray that your word would be powerfully applied by your spirit to our hearts. Grant us a spiritual sight to see you more clearly, to see Christ. Help us to draw near to you through your word. And even though we are unable to gather as your people in this season, Father, we pray that our hearts would continue to draw near to you, that we would find in you our true rest and our refuge. So strengthen us, we pray, in this time. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when my friend Gustav was a young boy, his parents would drop him off at school every day, and they would drop him off with the same parting words. You know, they would say to him as he got out of the car, Remember who you are. You are a Pritchard. You know, that, that's, his last, that's his family name, Pritchard. So this, he, they would say to him, Remember that you are a Pritchard. Make us proud. And then they would say that to him every day as they drop him off at school. Uh, perhaps some of us have said something similar to our children when we drop them off for school or some other thing. Or maybe our parents have said something similar to us. You know, remember who you are. No, identity matters, and knowing who we are shapes how we live. And this is the reason why we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians over the past couple of weeks, focusing on four aspects of our identity as the church. You know, who are we? 
We are the church, a people created by the gospel for the gospel. We are a people gathered by the gospel, displaying the power and beauty of the gospel through our unity, through the way we love one another, through our life together as God's people. Last week, we heard about how our identity defines our purpose. We are a people growing together towards the goal of becoming more and more like Jesus. Growth is not just individual, but it is corporate. We grow as one body in Jesus Christ. So gospel, gather, grow, and go. So today we wrap up our sermon series by focusing on our mission as God's people. Knowing who we are as the church should then move us out into the world to accomplish God's mission. We are to be a people who go with the gospel. And as we come to this passage in Ephesians, Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 12, uh, these verses are really the climax of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, when we look at them carefully, we, we realize that Paul is pulling together what he has said about the gospel earlier in his letter. This passage is the church's marching orders as we prepare to go out into the world. These verses remind us that we are in a spiritual war and our mission is to make disciples and this mission will take us deep into enemy territory. Therefore, before we go, we need to be armed with God's armour. So these verses are helpful for us as we prepare to go with the gospel. So just two points as we spend some time thinking about these verses uh, today. Number one, don't just do something, stand there. So the title of this point is taken from a convocation message uh, preached by Albert Moeller at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in 1993. Uh, in this message, he urged the school to, quote, start with conviction rather than mere action. And Moeller went on to say in this message, we can never measure our life and work in terms of activity and the statistics. In the view of eternity, we will be judged most closely not on the basis of how many courses were taught, how many students were trained, but on whether or not we kept the faith. Indeed, this is where we must start as a church. We must start with conviction and not mere action. God will ultimately evaluate GBC not, on, not based on how many programs or participation we have, but God will judge us based on whether or not we've been faithful to the gospel, faithful to the teaching of the gospel, faithful to living out the truths of the gospel in our life together as well as in our life in the world. Friends, earlier generations of GBCers have been Faithful, they've stood for the gospel and they have passed it on to us. And how will we stand firm? Paul says in this passage that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. To be strong, we must be in the Lord, united to Christ. And we must depend on the strength of his might. Remember that we were once dead in sins. We had no spiritual life. It is God who made us alive together with Christ. He died to pay the price for our sin. And He rose from the dead to give us new life. So don't be discouraged by our weaknesses. 
Don't be discouraged by these current circumstances, difficult as they are, uncertain as they are. God's resurrection power works in us. And that's why Paul says earlier in Ephesians, this is what he prays for these Christians. And this is a prayer that we should pray for ourselves as well. Paul prays for them that they may know, and we should know also, what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Friends, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, this same power is at work in us. And this same power is able to work through us for the blessing of the world, for the spread of the gospel. And that's why Paul says, be strong in the strength of His might, to trust in God's power. And to be strong in the Lord, we must put on the whole armor of God in order to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In this present darkness, we will still wrestle with our sins, the world, and the devil. The devil schemes to harm us with lies, with accusations, with temptations, false teaching, discouragement, despair, disunity. And because we are not yet the church glorified, we will struggle while we wait for King Jesus to return. This stanza from the hymn, The Church's One Foundation, puts it well. It says, Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore. Till with the vision glorious, her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. We are still waiting for the consummation. And until we behold the consummation with vision glorious, until we are the church at rest, we are still the church at war. I think one of the things that the, this pandemic has taught us uh, is that living in a pandemic, we cannot afford to let our guard down. And I think this new uh, slew of measures that will kick, that will begin this weekend, I think they are a fresh reminder that we're not out of the woods yet. And we constantly need to be on our guard against the virus. Because we're at war with COVID-19, we understand the urgency of being vigilant. Every surge of new cases warns us against complacency. Friends, do we realize that we are also in the middle of a spiritual war? The, the temptations with, against sin that I face, that you face, these battles with temptation aren't merely personal struggles. These battles with temptation and sin are part of this larger cosmic conflict. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, uh, the senior demon Screwtape writes to his nephew Wormwood and provides him with advice, and Screwtape says that one of the devil's best weapons against humans is contented worldliness. You know, I've, I've been reading this book with my two sons, and every night we just read a chapter together, and I was quite struck by C.S. Lewis's description, you know, contented worldliness. I think the devil wants to keep us blissfully unaware 
of the war that's going on? Are we as a church living with a wartime mentality? Or are we more focused on self, complacently chasing after our own comfort and convenience? Have we forgotten or lost sight of the fact that there is a spiritual war going on? Have we lapsed into some kind of contented worldliness? Have we drifted from our mission? Remember Paul's exhortation to Timothy in 2 Timothy? Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Then he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. No soldier fighting a war gets distracted by peacetime pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Friends, we will face opposition because the flesh, the world and the devil are opposed to the king. So we must put on the whole armour of God because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our foes are not fleshly, but spiritual. The good news is that the battle belongs to the Lord. He is a divine warrior who fights for us. Now, I love the passage in Isaiah 59, and that's really the passage where Paul takes the language of the armour of God from. Isaiah 59, verses 16 to 17. The Lord saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. So our Lord sees the state of the world and he puts on armour and he comes to fight for his own glory. He comes to fight for the good of his people. And Isaiah says he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. God fights for us. And friends, the good news is that the battle belongs to him and he gives us his own armour to make us strong so that we will be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. So GBC, we live in this present darkness. We are to be strong in the Lord by putting on the whole armour of God. Christ has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has defeated the devil. And now He invites us to share in His victory by putting on His armour so that we're able to stand against the schemes of the evil one. So what, what are the pieces of the armour that Paul exhorts us to put on? Firstly, fasten on the belt of truth. A, Romans, a Roman soldier's belt held together various parts of his uniform. And likewise, our life together as a church is held together by God's truth. We must get the gospel right. Without the gospel, there is no church. Without the truth, there is no people of God. Our 
survival, our thriving as God's people depends on our faithfulness to God's truth. Now, this is the reason why Paul says to the Corinthian church, I delivered to you as of first importance. This is vital. It's a priority. It's of first importance. And what is it that Paul said to the Corinthian church that is of first importance? He said, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. In other words, Paul says, the gospel is of first importance. You lose it, you lose everything. And friends, the, the danger of losing the gospel is often quite subtle. You know, I think it has been said that one generation uh, has the gospel, the second generation assumes the gospel, the third generation gets the gospel wrong, and the fourth generation maybe loses the gospel altogether. Friends, don't assume the gospel. I think in all that we do, ensure that we are clear about God's truth. We are clear about the gospel. We're clear about our own faith in the gospel. That we're not assuming that everyone believes the gospel. I think we're being intentional about sharing and speaking the gospel, even to one another, making sure that we continue to affirm and hold on to the truths of the gospel. So put on the belt of truth, because this holds everything together. So put on the belt of truth by guarding the gospel. You know, we are to guard the what of the gospel. This means knowing the gospel and protecting the truth of the gospel from falsehood, from error, from neglect. So we guard the what of the gospel. We also guard the who of the gospel. Now, what do I mean by the who of the gospel? We are the who of the gospel. Because when the world sees us, the, the world views us as those who have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We bear the name of Christ. Right? That, that's where the, the term Christian or little Christs comes from. We bear Jesus' name. And our lives, for better or for worse, will say something about the gospel. So we don't have to teach false doctrine to deny the gospel. We simply have to be hypocritical, ungodly, and unloving. So therefore, guarding the who of the gospel means encouraging one another to live in a way that adorns the gospel, that is consistent with the truths that we profess with our lips. Right? Our lives line up with the truths of the gospel. And friends, that, that is the responsibility not just of the elders of this church, not just the pastors who serve full-time, not just the staff or the deacons, but friends, this is the responsibility of every single one of us. God will hold every single one of us accountable for how we have guarded the gospel, the message of the gospel, as well as those who profess the lives of those who profess to believe the gospel. As, as we've been talking about in this sermon series, we are responsible for one another's spiritual well-being. Why? Because the witness of Jesus Christ is at stake. Because the clarity of the gospel, our faithfulness to the gospel is at stake. Paul exhorts us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
Now, this includes the righteousness that Jesus gives us when we trust in Him. The devil loves to accuse us of sin, to discourage us and drive us to despair. And friends, do you ever feel the sting of the devil's accusations against you? I, I think we, we feel the sting of his accusations because we know deep in our hearts that his accusations are true. Yes, we are guilty as charged. Yes, we are sinners and we have all turned away from God. So as we face the devil's accusations, where then can we find hope? Where then can we find comfort as we are assailed by the devil's unrelenting accusations against us? As it says in the hymn, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And the other hymn that says, when Satan tempts me to despair, and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. So when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we are saying, my righteousness is found in Christ alone. Yes, Satan, your accusations are true, but Christ is my Savior, and I wear his righteousness, and his righteousness is given to me so that when I stand before God, I stand before Him right. Not right because of my own merit, but right because of what Christ has done. And because Jesus has made us right with God, we can live a new life. Jesus died so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So as we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we are also resolving and committing ourselves to obey Christ, to walk in His ways, to display His righteous character, to reflect His goodness in every part of our lives, whether at home or at work. So as we go into the world with the gospel, we are going as a reflection of Christ's righteousness. And to stand firm, we also need the right footwear. Paul says, put on as shoes for your feet the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Roman soldiers wore boots with soles made of several layers of leather and studded with little metal pieces. And these metal studs helped to grip the ground so that soldiers wouldn't slip and fall in the heat of battle. And the gospel of peace makes us ready by reconciling us with God and with one another. You'll notice how Paul says it is the gospel of peace, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The devil seeks to undermine our relationship with God. The devil wants to make us think that God is not good, that he is distant, that he has failed us somehow, that he is uncaring. The devil also tries to spread disunity among God's people. I think the devil loves to have God's people fight with one another and to be uh, separated from one another. And that's why we need the gospel of peace because Christ has come to preach peace to us and he has brought us back to God and united us with one another. And if God has forgiven us in Christ, then we can also forgive one another. 
The gospel gives us peace with God. The gospel assures us that God delights to draw near to us. And indeed, He has drawn near to us through His Son. So as we hear the gospel, we receive the gospel of peace, it is a fresh encouragement to us to not believe the devil's lies. Friends, in this season especially, the devil will try to dishearten us with worry. The devil will seek to take our uncertainties and turn them into anxieties. And amid our anxieties, Paul says to us, take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Faith is the hand that clings onto Christ. So Paul is really saying to us, as he says, take up the shield of faith, he's saying to us, trust in Jesus. Depend on Him. Rely on Him. Rest in Him. Rest in His promises. Rest in His presence. Rest in His provision. Rest in His power. And through faith in Christ, we can have the courage and confidence in our trials. And this is why Paul prays this for the Ephesians. He says, he prays that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, so that we may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Friends, as we live through this difficult season, as we are scattered into the world, as we are unable to gather as God's people, and enjoy fellowship with one another, friends, we need this more than ever. We need to pray that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith so that our time apart doesn't lead us to be disconnected from Jesus, doesn't lead us to be disconnected from one another. We need to know now more than ever the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And what will enable us to know the love of Christ is the hand of faith that reaches out to Jesus that trusts in Him. So take, take up the shield of faith and extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The devil again and again will tempt us to think that God doesn't care, that Jesus is somehow distant, that other people don't even care, that God's people are disconnected. So we need the shield of faith to stand against the devil's lies. Paul says, take up the helmet of salvation. We've been saved by grace alone, not because of our works. Therefore, our salvation doesn't ultimately depend on us, but on what Christ has done. So Paul says, take on the helmet of salvation. Let the security of our salvation in Christ guard our minds, guard our thoughts. As Peter reminds us, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, this is our hope. We have a certain hope of salvation in Christ. Paul says, put on this helmet of salvation, remind ourselves of this sure hope that will never fade away, this hope that will never leave us disappointed. 
in the in the midst of life's struggles, in the midst of life's uncertainties that draw us away from the gospel, friends, put on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And as we've gone through the different parts of the armor, I think one thing stands out. We, we see how the different parts of the armor of God are all connected to Christ. So how is all this related to going with the gospel? Why does Paul say put on the armor of God in order to go with the gospel? Now, some of you may know that I used to live in the U.S., in Washington, D.C., and near, not, not, not too far from where we used to live, uh, there was a neighborhood hardware store that I really enjoyed going. Right? It, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a big store. It was quite a small store, ra- rather chaotic in the way everything was laid out. Uh, but I loved going there because the staff, every time I walked into the store, the staff were always very friendly. And the staff were passionate about DIY. Right? They were passionate about hardware, passionate about sharing their knowledge about DIY. So I used to go to the store and ask them uh, for advice on all sorts of home improvement things. You know, every time I wanted to do a home improvement project, I would go to the store and just ask them, so what should I do? And I want to fix an air, condition, air conditioner on my ledge, so what do I do? So the staff would always have lots of ideas, they would always share their knowledge about how I could carry out my DIY projects. So they knew their stuff because they actually used and stood by the products that they sold. Right? So I could trust them. You know, I, I knew that they weren't just trying to sell me something, but they really used and benefited from what they were selling. Right? That's, a bit, that's somewhat analogous to the way we are to go with the gospel. So I put it to us that we will be zealous for evangelism and missions if we are passionate for the gospel. And we will be passionate for the gospel if we are experiencing ourselves its saving and transforming power. If we ourselves are experiencing the power of the gospel in our own lives. When, when we experience the change that, we, that comes from believing in the gospel, we will be passionate for the gospel. So by putting on God's armor, we are really putting on Christ himself. We are applying his gospel to every part of our lives. We are applying his righteousness. We are exercising faith in him. We are holding on to the belt of His truth, we are allowing the gospel to make us ready to go and to fight this spiritual battle for for Jesus' sake. So as we put on the armor, we are putting on Christ. And when we have tasted for ourselves that God is good, we will want to go with the gospel and make it known. So GBC, the the basic question that we need to ask as a church is not how can we do more evangelism and missions? That's That's actually a secondary question. The basic question that we need to ask ourselves is this. How can we grow our passion 
for the gospel. If we are truly passionate for Jesus and the gospel, we will do evangelism and missions. Maybe the question that we need to ask is, if, if I don't share the gospel, if I don't have the heart for missions, is it because I, I'm just content to not really love Jesus, to, to not really love his gospel? Is that the reason why we don't do evangelism and we don't do missions? So don't just do something. Stand there. Which brings us to the next point as well. Don't just stand there. Do something. Standing firm in the gospel doesn't mean standing still. Merely knowing the truth without a passion for Jesus and a desire to make him known is simply dead orthodoxy. Remember who we are. We are the church. We are a people created by the gospel for the gospel. We have been saved for the mission of making disciples of the nations. Gospel shoes are made for walking, not simply for standing still. Those who go with the gospel are beautiful in God's eyes because we deliver the good news of his salvation. Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And Paul picks up on this this verse in Romans 10. Paul says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So obeying Christ's commission means being a sending and a going church. All of us are on mission together. And we are to build up the whole body of Christ in order to send faithful men and women into the harvest. So we don't merely build up the body of Christ and end there, but we build up the body of Christ in order that we may send faithful men and women for the work of the gospel. Some of us will be sent to serve this local church. Some of us will go and strengthen other churches. For example, we have raised up interns who are now on staff and they serve us on staff like Yanadi and Joshua. We've also raised up faithful men and sent them out to serve in other places. Samuel Bay serves as an an associate pastor at Christ City Church in Vancouver. Uh, We've sent out men like Desmond and Samuel Tan who are pastoring at other churches. Some of us will go and proclaim Christ among the nations, especially among unreached peoples who have not heard the gospel. So our ambition as a church is to be a church that sends and goes with the gospel. We we send and go with the gospel to multiply gospel communities, whether it's starting a new care group or even forming a new church. This is what God is calling us to, to go with the gospel, not just to do 
evangelism and just make individual converts, but Lord willing to gather these converts into faithful churches where they can live out their new life together as God's people. Friends, this call to go, I think is urging us to move away from maintenance mode. So our life as a church shouldn't be defined by simply maintaining things as they are. You know, in fact, our aim is not even to just make GBC bigger. No, God's kingdom is bigger than just this local church. And I pray that God will grow our ambitions for His gospel. And we don't have to be in full-time ministry in order to send or go. Last week, we talked about speaking the truth in love. So friends, as we speak the truth in love to one another, we are actually equipping and sending one another to go with the gospel to where we live, to where we work, to where we play. I think this is especially important in a time like this when we are unable to gather as a church and God has seen fit to scatter us into the world. And until we are able to gather again, we remain scattered in the world. I think in Scripture, when God's people were scattered into the world, what did they do? They, they went about preaching the gospel, as we see in the book of Acts. So friends, this is a difficult season, but I trust that this is a season of opportunity. How is God calling us in our respective places of work, in our homes, in places that we interact with our friends? How is God calling us to go with the gospel into those places? We can't invite our friends or family members into our gatherings because we're not gathering. But how do we bring, how can we bring the gospel into where people are at? We might not be able to meet in large groups, but we can call, we can message, we can find many other means of seeking out gospel opportunities, of praying for these gospel opportunities. And GBCers have been doing a lot of such things as well. I think before things before the restrictions hit because of COVID, uh, I, I know GBC members who were sharing the gospel with others at hawker centers. GBC members were reading the Bible one-on-one -on -one with a friend or family member. I know folks who host evangelistic Bible studies at work or in their homes. Uh, parents are talking about the gospel with their children, patiently answering their questions, not assuming that uh, they have faith. I know people who walk with others through suffering, sharing Jesus with them, telling of Jesus' grace and mercy to those who are suffering. Friends, I'm so encouraged that many of you are actively involved in going with the gospel. And I pray that more of us would heed God's call to go with the gospel, especially in a season like this, where many are anxious, many are seeking hope and comfort and friends, we have the precious treasure of the gospel that we can share with the world. And friends, if, if you are involved in various forms of evangelism, you know, do share your evangelistic efforts with the elders. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to highlight what you are doing at our monthly prayer meeting so that the whole church can come together and pray for you as well as pray for those whom you are sharing the gospel with. I mean, I'd love for us as a church to pray more for our evangelism to pray more for one another as we take the gospel into the world. I think this is not something that we should do on our own, 
but we want to support one another and pray for one another as we go with the gospel. Because we go with the gospel together. Personal evangelism doesn't mean lonely evangelism. God has gathered us as a church to partner with one another in the work of the gospel. And there are many ways in which we can serve. For example, I used to host a Christianity Explored uh, Bible study in my home. Uh, my friend of mine did that in his home as well. So I, as he taught the Bible study in his home, there were church members who came alongside him and, and they provided food. So they, they didn't teach the Bible study, but they provided food so that when his friends, his non-Christian friends came to his home, they had a meal and they felt welcome. So different members came together in different ways to partner in the work of the gospel. They, all, they didn't all have to do the same thing, but they all worked together to create this platform for the gospel. So friends, let's, let's be creative and think about other ways in which we can partner with one another to bring the gospel to those who haven't heard. More fundamentally, we make Jesus known by being the church. As Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the best witnesses to the gospel is when the, church bees, when the church is the church, when the church lives out faithfully its life as God's people. Evangelism and missions are not merely activities that some of us do. We are to be on mission together as a church. And the whole church is God's program to make disciples of the nations. I want to recommend this reading for us, this book by Max Stiles called Evangelism, How the Whole Church Speaks of Jesus. So if you want to find out more about how we partner together in the work of the gospel as one church, do, do pick up a copy of this book. If you'd like to order a copy, just email Yenadi in the church office. He'll be happy to order a copy on your behalf as well. So Evangelism by Max Stiles. Paul says we go armed with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this is the only offensive weapon mentioned in these verses. Because when we speak God's truth, when we go with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, we take the fight to the enemy. We don't just stand, but we go forth. We wage war by proclaiming peace through the gospel. Like Jesus came to preach peace, we announce the good news of freedom in Christ to those held captive by Satan's sin and death. We go in the power of the Spirit. He is the one who wields the sword of the Word. He is the one who pierces hearts with the Gospel. Friends, we, we simply go with the Word, faithfully proclaiming the Word, and we trust the Spirit to work through the gospel, to call sinners to Jesus Christ. And through the Spirit's working, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Friends, we have no power to do that. The power doesn't belong to us. The power comes from the Spirit working through the Word of God. The power belongs to God and not to us. Friends, this is good news for us as we go with the gospel. We can put on God's armor and depend on Him. So we persevere in prayer for all the saints, trusting that God will go with us as we go with His gospel. And as we pray, we make the growth of the gospel the priority of our prayers. Just as Paul prayed in the closing verses of this passage, this is how Paul requests for prayer. He says, Pray that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. Friends, we face opposition because of the gospel. Paul suffered. He is an ambassador in chains. We are also called to suffer for the gospel's sake. And so we pray for clarity, we pray for courage to be faithful with the gospel. We are the church, a people created by the gospel for the gospel. God has gathered us as one that we might grow together to become more and more like our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And we build up the whole body so that we can send and go with the gospel. I pray that God may help us to know and be who we are in Christ for the sake of His glorious name. O church, arise and put your armour on. Hear the call of Christ, our captain. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you indeed that you are the God who calls and you are the God who saves. And Father, we thank you for Jesus whom you have sent. He has come victorious over sin through his life, death and resurrection. And because of his victory, we can trust him and we can put on the armour that he provides through the gospel. So Father, we pray that you would make us strong in the Lord. As we go forth, Father, we pray that we would go not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom or resources, but Father, help us to trust in you. Fill our hearts with fresh zeal for the gospel's sake. Father, stir in us great passion for Jesus and his gospel. Father, help us to see the power of the gospel at work in our own lives, that we would desire others to come to know Jesus and to trust in Him as well. So Father, we pray that You would strengthen us, that You would help us as Your people to be who we are in Christ so that we would glorify You together as Your people. Help us, we pray. We ask these things through Jesus Christ. Amen.